136 song. You'll find this on page 843, continuing on to page 844. It's on your large print sheets as well. Psalm 136. Today, we'll be reading the first 15 verses. Psalm 136, J43, and on J44. Psalm 136, verses 1 through 15. Hear now the word of God. Oh, give thank for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, for his mercy endures forever, the sun to rule by day. For his mercy endures forever, the moon and stars to rule by night. For his mercy endures forever. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever, and brought out Israel from among them. For his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. Well, beloved people of God, today we come to part three of this five-part series, 26 Reasons for Thanksgiving. As the psalmist gives us abundant reason for Thanksgiving. You know, we've looked, started to look in the last couple of weeks at this notion of thanksgiving. We've talked about it in more general terms, perhaps. But we've been using, as you know, the 136th Psalm to look at this concept of giving thanks. Psalm 136 has been called, has been called the great Hallel. Hallel. And so the great praise, if you will. So you know the word hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And so hallel means to praise, to sing praise. It has a unique structure with its refrain, for his mercy is everlasting, in order to emphasize the point so you don't miss it. It's divided into several different sections. But please note, that this psalm is not a mindless repetition, therefore. No, even though it's got this common theme, 
His mercy endures forever. Even though it's got that common theme, it's looking at that in 26 different ways. And that's the beauty of it. It also, by the way, shows progression of thought. It shows progression of thought. We'll have opportunity to look at that a bit more as we go along. But it is interesting. There is a, a logic to it, if you will. Um, now, in addition to thanksgiving, then, what we see is God's mercy, or his chesed, or chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. Uh, that word, mercy, or loving kindness, or compassion, a variety of ways of interpreting or translating it. Matter of fact, in many ways, all of those things, mercy, compassion, loving kindness, all of those things are bound up together in this song, in this word. This word appears 128 times in the Psalms and 121 times in the rest of the Old Testament. So very important word, very important concept, very important reality. One definition is this. What we see here is the Lord's tenacious commitment to Israel. Tenacious? We might even say stubborn, okay? We didn't even say it that, but you know if you have tenacity, you know, you're one who doesn't give up, you know, I don't know, like a preacher keeps on inviting folks to church. You never know. Tenacity, stubbornness, if you will, the Lord's tenacious commitment to Israel, even when his people are stubbornly rebelling against him. It's been said like this, God is like a pit bull and grabbing hold of us and not letting go. And that's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? But it's, his, it's because of his mercy that he grabs hold of us and won't let us go. Now, one other thing by way of introduction today, and that is this. Did you notice that this psalm, just like others, deals with history? It deals with history. And you know, as I was thinking about this, and I'm sure I've overlooked some, um, but... You know, there are a number of psalms that deal that with historical references, not just in terms of, well, praise the Lord and, and so forth, but very particular, um, very particular circumstances, very particular background. Psalm 78 we often think of, where, um, uh, you know, the fathers are going to tell the children, going to relate to it, what... Um, you know, what uh, God has done. And then Psalm 78 talks about that. Talks about, uh, uh, for example, uh, the exodus out of Egypt and so forth. Um, as well as the fact that also later in the psalm, he talks about the rebelliousness and the sinfulness and the stubbornness of Israel and that the wrath of God came against them. We don't usually think about singing these kinds of things in church. But actually, we are supposed to sing these in church because these are the songs that God has provided for us, these psalms. And it's all in praise of God, even relating these historical events. I was think I went on to um, uh, think about uh, Psalm um, 
Psalm 83 talks about the um, uh, the tents of Edom, the Ishmaelites, Moab, and the Hagarites, Gebel, Ammon, and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria is joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin, at Kaishan Brook, who perish at Endor. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeba, yea, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, and so forth. Psalm uh, 95. Uh, Psalm 95 uh, talks about the rebelliousness again, the the uh, of the hardening of their hearts, as in the day of trial in the wilderness when others tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work for forty years. I was grieved with that generation, and so forth. I think uh, of Psalm 99, which has reference, as you probably remember, has reference to Moses and Aaron and Samuel. So very. Specific references there. The one the Psalm 105, we just sang from the 105th Psalm a few moments ago, which again talks about the exodus out of Egypt. Psalm 106, again, historical references uh, in terms of, of the exodus, but also then how they complained, how they uh, they joined themselves, verse 28, also to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. They provoked him to anger with their deeds. The plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and intervened. You remember Phineas? Remember Phineas? Who took that spear and, and thrust it through uh, these, uh, uh, these two young people, one of whom was a pagan, thrust it through the two of them as they were in the tent. Interesting, isn't it? To sing about those things in praise of God. That's all... It's all part of the history that we need to learn from. And the plague was stopped. And that was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. Uh, we just sang from the 114th Psalm, uh, which again talked about the, the uh, Israel coming out of Egypt. And also, of course, not just the sea, the, the Red Sea, verse 3, but also Jordan. That was as as Jordan was turned back to allow, stopped its flow to allow the children of Israel to go to the promised land. And Psalm 132, Psalm 132, where we read about um, hearing about the, the Ark of the Covenant. We heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods and so forth. And I'm sure there are others that we could think of as well. But that's just a sampling, if you will, of psalms that show how rooted they are in terms of history. Furthermore, there are various historical settings of psalms as revealed by means of the titles, such as Psalm 51. Psalm 51, David's prayer of repentance upon the occasion of his having an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and then being confronted over that and repenting of his sins. And there were numerous other instances if you look at the titles of the Psalms. Now, why do I make this point? And why do we have this here in Psalm 136? Because, my friends, there is a reality to our faith. There's a reality to our faith. There's a flesh and blood reality. There's a space and time reality to our faith. It's not simply the, you know, this is not imagination. This is not a fairy tale. 
Our faith is rooted in history. There's a reality to it. And we have it here in Psalm 136, which we'll be looking at then as we get to this third point of the 136th Psalm in just a moment. Well, let's take a moment just to recap then the previous, uh, the previous two sections. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, we have the threefold summons to give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. And you may remember a couple of weeks ago I pointed out that part of what we learned from this is that we are to praise God not simply for what he does, but we are to praise God for who he is, for who he is, apart from anything that he does in terms of who God is. We should be fascinated by that. We should be intrigued by that. We should be drawn to him. We should adore him simply because he is God. And so this threefold summons then to give thanks to the God of gods, the Lord of lords. Then last week, God's work as creator, verses 4 through 9. You notice the description in general terms, the wonders in the earth and the sea and the air. So I pointed out some of the, the wonders of uh, creation in the earth, some of the wonders of creation in the, in the sea, and I should not be remiss and uh, avoid uh, talking about the, uh, the birds as well, and the wonders in the air. So those are general terms, all these wonders, these amazing things. Think of the hummingbird. Think of the eagle as it soars, the falcon as it soars on the air currents. Think of those things. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Think of the pterodactyl. There's an old dinosaur that could fly. Okay? So, wonders in the earth, the sea, the air, and then description of the heavens and the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And all of creation then leads the psalmist to offer praise and thanksgiving to God the Creator. And I mentioned last week that this is, part of what you find here then is that the, the re, one of the reasons why he talks about this in terms of creation, in terms of giving thanks and praise to God for his mercy, which is everlasting in that context, is because creation is the theater of God's glory, and the, as particularly his glory in salvation. It's the stadium, just like Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You don't spend a billion dollars or 1.8 or whatever it is, billion dollars, simply to build a building. As marvelous as that building is, it's a place in order to play sports. There'd be no sense to build that building unless it was a venue for sports events. And so it is with creation. That's the whole point, is that God has made creation in order to display his glory in the salvation of his people. And so it's in that context that we, that we have this refrain, for his mercy endures forever. And now thirdly, we come to the theme of deliverance from Egypt in verses 10 through 15. Verses 10 through 15. First of all, verse 10, to him who struck or smote Egypt in their firstborn. 
Now, children, I'm sure you're aware of some of the other plagues. There were 10 plagues, total 10 plagues, such as the water being turned into blood, the frogs, ribbit, ribbit, frogs all over the place, in the bedroom, in the, in the oven. You couldn't get rid of frogs. The lice, the flies, the livestock that became diseased, the boils, the boils, the, the, you know, on the skin, the boils, the hail. My, we saw some storms yesterday, didn't we, in the southeast? The hail, destructive hail, and people were killed in that hail in Egypt. The locusts that ate everything, and the darkness, the darkness over the land of Egypt it was so dark that a man couldn't see his hand in front of him. It was a supernatural darkness that God sent. And finally, the killing of the firstborn. The killing of the firstborn. And this final plague then entailed great punishment and grief. Can you imagine if you were a mother or a parent in Egypt? From Pharaoh on down to the lowest servant, the firstborn in Egypt was killed that night. This is God's judgment on Egypt. But please note, my friends, it was for mercy's sake. That is to say, for the sake of mercy to God's elect, that the Lord judged Egypt. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. He goes on in verse 11, and brought out Israel from among them, out of the house of bondage, out of slavery. This was the redemption, the salvation of God's people. For 400 years, they served the Egyptians. And they ended up having to make bricks and eventually making bricks without straw being given to them. But all of this then, in bringing out Israel from among them, was a display of his Hasset, his mercy. He did so with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, we read in verse 12. There were extraordinary dealings, including the fiery cloud that protected Israel from Pharaoh, that protected Israel from Pharaoh. As Pharaoh decided to pursue the Israelites, and as the Israelites were facing the Egyptians behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, how were they going to escape? And God sent a great cloud, a cloudy pillar. By night it shone like flame to protect his people. This is the power of God, a strong hand, a stretched out arm. Notice that there was thanksgiving for the manner, therefore, as well as the matter. And I would point out, my friends, that this theme of God's power in terms of redemption is not confined uh, simply to this passage. 
uh, you know, in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, the eyes of your understanding, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So Paul was very clear that the salvation that we have is a manifestation of the power of God as well as of his mercy. It's the power and the grace of God. It's the power and compassion of God working together, if you will. And so with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. Verse 14, to him who divided the Red Sea into parts. Now literally, the word there means to cut it apart or to rip it open. Now that's kind of an interesting way of saying it, isn't it? Now I want you to think about this. The Red Sea is, you know, is, is a major body of water. Okay? This is not some little lake somewhere. This is a major body of water. Of course, it's salt water. It's connected to the ocean. And the thing is that the, the figure that is used here is that, as it were, with his strong hand and outstretched arm, he took the waters of the Red Sea and ripped them apart, spread them apart. Why? So that he could provide a dry path for the Israelites, which itself is a miracle. I mean, what's going to be at the bottom of the sea? It's going to be kind of mucky, kind of, right? And yet, it was a dry path that was provided. Now, children, can you imagine what a terrifying sight that must have been to see towering water on either side of this path that God has provided for you? Can you imagine? That's what they saw. And this then shows great power as well as great deliverance. And it is another manifestation of his mercy that endures forever. Verse 15 then. But, or excuse me, verse 14. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it. Again, he was able to lead his people through the parted wave and yes his mercy provides for that too and then verse 15 but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea literally tossed them tossed them chariots and horses were overthrown of course one of the reasons why we read today in Exodus 14 what happened the, the wheels started to come off the chariots mm. So they couldn't flee. This is all part of God's judgment. And what a terrible and awesome overthrow. As the Israelites saw the dead bodies, the corpses of those soldiers, saw the dead horses on the seashore as a sign of God's, not only God's judgment, 
but God's deliverance of his people. Because, my friends, his mercy endures forever. Well, I have two points, two basic points of application. Excuse me, two basic points, I'm sorry, of observation first. The first observation is this. Destruction and salvation go together. Destruction and salvation go together. God provides salvation for his elect, for his people. And he directs all events in this world toward that end. All events in terms of the heavenly bodies. All events in terms of the animals and the plants. All the events in terms of the created order. But all events with regard to humanity as well. And this sovereign plan includes the destruction of his and their enemies. You see, the point of the Exodus, listen to me carefully here, the point of the Exodus out of Egypt was not simply let my people go. It wasn't simply that. No, Yahweh or Jehovah the Lord was demonstrating his judgment upon the false gods of Egypt. That's what he was doing. He was showing that they were serving not the true and the living God, but they were serving false gods. And as they continued that rebellion against the true and living God, they were overthrown in the sea. Destruction, then, and salvation go together. Secondly, by way of observation, we are once again reminded of the fact that thanksgiving is directed toward the true God. So, thanksgiving is directed toward the true God. It is not thanksgiving in general, and it is not that which is offered to a bland, nondescript deity, just God in general. No, it's the triune God. It is the God who actually exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is thanksgiving that is given to the Trinity, to the triune God, the one who did actually make the world, and the one who did actually bring judgment upon Egypt. Again, it is given to the triune God who actually brings about salvation for his elect. Let us be clear. The Egyptians who were drowned in the Red Sea giving thanks to God. They were not thanking the God of Israel. They were not thanking Pharaoh or the gods of Egypt. They were cursing, undoubtedly, as they were drowning. Thanksgiving properly is given to the true and the living God. And we who are believers, then, are to praise God for his judgments in the earth. We are to sing his praise for all that he does, including his justice. And my friends, if we don't praise and thank him for his judgments, then we are worshiping an idol and not the true God. Our praising God for his everlasting mercy is not contradictory to praising him for his justice. And now one 
brief point of application is this. Be sure that you are in a position to give thanks to God. Be sure that you're in a position to give thanks to God. For you see, the deliverance from Egypt is a picture of salvation. It is a picture of being delivered from sin. And not just being delivered from the penalty of sin, but from sin itself. This idea of hesed, of loving kindness, of mercy, this idea has the notion of covenant faithfulness and friendship. That's the point. It's not simply a get-out-of-hell-free card that God gives you. He's saying, I want to be your God, and you will be my people, as those who follow me, as those who serve me, as those who renounce sin, not just being delivered from the penalty of sin. And why? Because of my hesed, because of my mercy, because of my loving kindness. That not only did I send my son into the world to die for your sins, but I want your sin taken care of, not just the penalty thereof, but I want that barrier between you and me removed, which is sin. And therefore, my friends, if you have experienced God's mercy, you will want to live for him. You will. Now let me be clear here. There is no reason for pride. There's no reason for us, there's no grounds whatsoever for us to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh yes, God destroys all of our enemies. No, no. You cannot have salvation if you think you deserve it. The salvation that we have is through God's mercy. And there is only one way to have that salvation, and that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. He is our Passover. He is our Passover who has passed over us for our salvation. And it is because of his sprinkled blood, that blood that in history, in terms of the deliverance from Egypt, that, that you know, symbolized by that blood of the lamb, of those lambs that were slain on the, the day of Passover, that blood that was sprinkled on the doorpost and the lintel of the door as a symbol of Jesus' blood having been sprinkled upon the mercy seat of God so that God's wrath is appeased. And that's what the psalmist here is singing about. That's what he said. That's what this is all pointing to. It wasn't simply being delivered out of Egypt. It's being delivered from your sin. How? So the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, to whom the blood of all those goats and lambs were pointing forward, all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, all those Passover meals every year. And so, my friends, there is only one way to have that salvation, and that is through the cross of Jesus Christ, through and on the basis of his sprinkled blood, appeasing the wrath of God, taking that wrath upon himself so that he cries from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so, my friends, as we look at this psalm, and particularly as we see the deliverance from Egypt, 
let us remember the greater deliverance that we have through Christ as he delivers us from our sin. Because, my friends, his mercy endures forever. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And Father, we pray that this message would be applied to our hearts with the glory and honor of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee, Lord, that thou hast delivered us from our sin through the cross. We pray, Lord, that we might evermore thank thee for that and embrace it. Thank thee that thou art the one who has loved us with an everlasting love and bound us to thyself through thy blood-sealed covenant. So be pleased to accept our worship and our service before thee. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.